I got one amen. Kelly's doing great. Glad you're doing great this morning. <coughs> well, this morning I wanted to go through, uh, I was planning on, on doing a, another message on, on the book of Jude, and I might, might do that either next week or the week afterwards, but um, I really felt uh, like I needed to, to shift this morning and to do something different. So the title of the message this morning is, uh, is Orphan of the World to Heir of the Most High. Um, again, Orphan of the World to Heir of the Most High. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Let's start there in verse 1, and we'll work, we will work our way through. Uh, we'll go to about verse 17, and then we'll, we'll pause. So it starts off by saying this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen to that. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. To live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Say that again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. In order that we may also share in his glory. Brian Simmons, he's the author of the Passion Translation. He summarizes this passage this way. Let, uh, I won't read the entirety of it, but I'll start in verse 14 and go to 17. I didn't put this on there, so don't worry about having to worry about getting that there. So he says it this way. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. For if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I was watching a podcast um, the other day. There's uh, Iris Global. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of that ministry. It's uh, Rollin and Heidi Baker's ministry, Iris Global. They, they do a lot of mission work all over the globe. One of the biggest missionary um, organizations uh, in, on the planet. And they're doing incredible, incredible work. And the CEO um, of, the, of Iris Global is Will Hart. And he's based out of uh, the Nashville area. He was interviewing a guy named Leif Hetland. Leif Hetlin is a missionary to Muslim countries. He feels especially called to those nations. He does a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of work out there. He's seen, he has seen millions of Muslims come to know Jesus through, through the ministry that the Lord has, has, has given him. And so he was interviewing Leif and talk to him, talking to him about just what it is that he sees God doing in those areas. And, and Leif said that he was so impacted by fatherlessness in Christianity, the way that people have, have accepted a fatherless mentality whenever they approach, the, when they approach their relationship with God. They're fine with Jesus, but they have, a, they have a lot of trouble with God the Father. They're cool with what Jesus did on the cross, but it's really seeing God as a father is, is a really hard thing for them to do. Having the understanding that they need to, to be obedient and submissive to God the Father has been something that is a struggle for many people. And so he has a, a, a marvelous ministry where he really unpacks the, the Father's love. But he said this, and this, this shook me to the point where I was like, I need to talk about this a little bit on Sunday, I think. He said 16 of the 19 people involved with the September 11 attack were orphans. Sixteen of the 19 people involved with the September 11 attack were orphans. 
The church did not care for them, so bin Laden didn't struggle to indoctrinate them. One of the mandates we were given by Jesus was to care for the orphans and the widows. We see this also spoken in the New Testament by some of the apostles. They say we, we need to take care of the orphans and the widows. There are a lot of people who still, even though they may not be naturally orphaned, they're spiritually orphaned. <coughs> they claim to have no father, they, and so because they don't have a relationship or connection with God the Father, they are easily scooped up by other people who have alternate agendas that are more self-seeking and self-serving. And because of that, those people then become manipulated into becoming someone they were never meant to be. Sixteen of the nineteen people involved in the September 11th attack were orphans. When you look at people who are in your close proximity, people who you work with, people who you're close to in relationship, people that you know by name and that you can call out and when you see them, you can have a, co- a, long, a lengthy conversation because you feel close enough with them to, to share the happenings of your life and you're interested in the happenings of their life. How many of them are actually under the mentality of, of being an orphan? <coughs> you see, because for a little while, the, the prodigal son, he got his inheritance. He felt like he had all the things that he needed, and then he vacated the premises. He went, and he went out and did whatever it was that he wanted to. He partied real hard. He, you know, he probably had a, a, a pretty expensive clothing that he started to purchase. He, he was able to indulge himself in all kinds of activities. <coughs> there were many people who surrounded themselves uh, with him because he had means to be able to pay for much that they wanted. He wasn't physically orphaned because he had a father, but his mentality was as if he was an orphan. Seeking for the approval of others who he was around to the point to where he was throwing his money away just to where he can have acceptance from those who he was around. Missing out on really the, the, the benefits that he had in having a father who had much property. He had he had a lot of great opportunity for his son to grow as a, as a good businessman, as a leader, as someone who could, who could grow and develop and um, take on what his dad had, had started when he passes and continue on with his brother and, and do great things there. But he decided he wanted to kind of go do his own thing. And when he got to the point to where he was broke, hungry, Desperate, tired, he found himself in a very precarious situation. When Jesus talked about this story, it's, it's not just that pigs are nasty and that him just eating out of the slop of from where the pigs were eating was that's just a gross thing because pigs are nasty. But it's also because of their restrictions on what they were supposed to and not supposed to um, indulge themselves with as far as eating, sharing with 
certain foods being able to come together and what you should and should not put in your body. And so he was in a very shameful place. Sharing meals with an animal that they were supposed to stay very far away from. When we have an orphan mentality, an orphan spirit, we start to we start to join in and join up with people, characters, and activities. It's not just like frowned upon by the church, but it 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 causes you to be unclean inside. Spiritually, you start to become unclean. It's not that Jesus, because uh, let me tell you, Jesus hung out with lots of tax collectors. He hung out with with sinners. He hung out with drunks. He hung out with all different kinds of people, and that did not taint him. So it's not the fact that he was near some people who were doing things that were inappropriate. It's, it's again, going back to the, Matthew, the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the intentionality of the heart and what's, what's your driving force for being with specific individuals. orphan mentality is one that does not recognize that there is a loving father right there ready for you excited to push you will also discipline you not discipline in a way that brings you down and makes you feel inferior but it shows you a better way and sets you up to be able to excel whenever you're met again with that circumstance one that lovingly brings you into the right space. He was faced, this prodigal son was faced with a very important decision. Knowing the shape that he was in, knowing the way that he probably smelled, being around all of the pigs in their slop and, and things, knowing that his stomach was probably a mess. knowing that he didn't look like he did when he first left. He should be looking much better after having lots. Do you think someone who has a ton of money should look better than they did when they didn't have hardly any money? <laughs> but yet he looked worse when he came back than what he did when he left. Dejected. Probably super scared. Very ashamed. I mean, he, he came to the conclusion that he would much rather be a, a servant in his father's house than to be in the position that he was in. He was like, man, I'll live in, in a shed in the back. I don't care. I was just, the, my, the servants are treated way better than what I'm able to accomplish right now on my own. So he made the decision that he was going to go and present himself in front of the person that he felt like he should have probably made the most proud. I think that there are a lot of people who in their faith that they, they say the prayer, they feel good about that, maybe they have conviction when they first start, but then they haven't quite kicked pride out of their life. They haven't taken the, the aspect of humility. They haven't taken that approach. They haven't taken that to consideration that they need to be humble in all the things that they do. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? 
It's the first thing Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, building up their own castle and wanting to be the king of their own castle, wanting to, to, to be the one who rules and reigns in their own life while having the benefits from the savior of the universe. Saying that I said a prayer, I go to church on a Sunday, that's, that's great and that's good and all, but in reality, they live as if they are the ruler of all things. The timidness of submitting to a, to a father terrifies them to the point of rejecting, rejecting the benefits of having God as the father. They will, be, they will be called a Christian by name, but in reality, the activity of their life doesn't point to that at all. They may morally have some good things to do, but, but we just read in Romans 8 that we still could not satisfy the needs of the law in our flesh. It's not possible. However, when we walk in the Spirit, when we're in tune and when we, we have the spirit of Christ living inside of us, then and only then we can be called children of God. We can then be heirs of the kingdom. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. The desires of the flesh overrule and override when we are not in humility. It takes a humble person to be able to, um, to set away their desires and to say that there is a standard that is better and there is someone that I want to please more than myself. In Romans 8.3, he said, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteousness, that the righteous requirement of the law, it might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You are not in the realm of the flesh or in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I love that he mentions slavery and fear because a lot of times when people think of a, of an, of a ruling father, they think of one who is overbearing, one who could be manipulative as well, one who could be uh, unfair one who's really harsh, quick-tempered. You feel like you're in a you feel like you're a slave in your house because of those things, and then because of that, you live in fear of of stepping incorrectly. But he said, "The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, because what does Paul again tell us in Galatians one? It is for freedom that Christ set you free." It is for freedom. It is not so you can be bound to slavery again. We were once slave to the flesh. We were slave to sin. We were slave to, to death. 
However, whenever we, whenever we have been quickened and alive into the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us, and we receive the spirit of Christ inside of our lives, and we say that we are going to be temples of the Holy Spirit, everywhere we go, we can honor him and we can glorify his name. Then in humility, we sacrifice the flesh on a daily basis, knowing that the flesh, it, when we satisfy the flesh, it is us taking reins and saying that I reject the, the will of the Father and I accept my own desires as the ruling authority in my life. And that is not full acceptance of the spirit of Christ Jesus. Then you will find yourself in slavery, in bondage again. Now it is true that in, our, in, in the mercy of Jesus and in, in the grace of God that you can be saved in struggle. But part of the process is that you move forward in that and you don't sit in the midst of that struggle. Let's say that again. It's not that, that you just say this is the thorn in my flesh and I'm just going to deal with it. I don't believe that that is the way that we need to think about certain sins and certain behaviors of the flesh that, that we find ourselves struggling with. When you think of a wrestling match, you think of not one person standing there <coughs> and getting beat up by the other person, not putting up a fight. When we're wrestling and struggling with something, there is intention for victory. There is intentionality for, for you to be victorious in that. And the beautiful thing about it is that you don't have to make yourself whole before you come to Christ with the things that the flesh is desiring after. That's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus accepts our mess right now and helps us move through it. We co-labor with Christ. And so the beautiful thing is that whenever we understand that this, this battle that we wrestle with the flesh, it should not just be complete submissiveness where we feel like we don't do anything and then Jesus is just supposed to completely restore you from all of the struggles that you will ever go through. The process is actually that because I know that he won the victory, that he won the battle, I now fight from victory. I move into that victorious stance and I know that I can move in confidence knowing that Christ set me free from the penalty of death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, I can now move in confidence against the work of the enemy with authority because I'm an heir of the kingdom of heaven. You are not orphans. You have a good father. The Spirit of God is much grander than anything else that we could ever try to align ourselves with to overcome stuff. There, there are great tools that you can use, but if you just try to use a tool to overcome your flesh, then you will only have the victory of that moment in itself. The price of sin is death. We know that from Paul's writings. Right, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to start living our lives in Christ and then fight our battles through that. Not claim to be Christians and then do all the things that we can just on our own and then be aggravated because there's not anything that's coming from this fight. We have to learn to contend with Christ. To, to hear his voice. Jo John says um, in, his, in his gospel, he says that uh, 
Jesus' words proclaim that my sheep know my voice. The beautiful thing about this, too, is that it's very interesting. If you believe that you're saved, then that means that you heard the call of Christ, heard the the voice of the Holy Spirit enrapture you and, and, and give you the understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and he, di- he lived a perfect life. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He went to the cross um, and died, and then three days later, he rose from the grave. The Holy Spirit confirmed that inside of you, and so you heard the voice of the Lord. To understand that and then to want to give your life to Christ, that means that you heard the Holy Spirit. And so you've heard his voice before. So you cannot claim as a Christian that you've never heard the voice of the Lord. You cannot claim that. You've heard his voice. Many of you remember that time whenever you really felt like this is the moment that I need to give my life completely to him. Maybe you attended church for a while. That's me. Attended church my whole life. But still, just because you attended church, you understand what uh, you've heard. And you can reiterate. <coughs> Excuse me. You can, you can repeat what other people have said about the, the Bible. Does not mean that you're a believer. Just means that you have a brain. Right? But it is in the moment where you knew that the weightiness of the sin that you had committed in your whole entire life was not going to lead you to anything beneficial. There were things that you cannot overcome on your own. That you were actually separate from God, separated from God through that sin. And there's only one mediation. There was only one thing that could actually bring forth true relationship with God, and that was to give your life to Jesus. And that revelation does not come from your own understanding. Jesus told Peter, that was not flesh and blood that revealed that to you. It was the Spirit of God. It was my Father in heaven who revealed that Jesus was the Messiah to Peter. So you are not orphans. You've heard the voice of your father. Are you intentional now about listening for his his voice? Are you pressing in and wanting more conversation with him? Have you been able to communicate this with those who you're close with and who you who you see? I mean, that quote by Leif Hetland had me stern for three days after I heard it, (laughs) just thinking about that line over and over and over again, what it would mean if, if we as the church would actually reach out to people who are spiritually orphaned so that they weren't so easily manipulated and pulled away by the desires of the flesh. There are many people with great, with great intentions for what they want to do and for, you know, certain things, but when you don't know Jesus, your intention is for yourself. It ends up being, and is it just to be, be able to glorify yourself or to bring good vibes to yourself? Maybe to make a better world and earth, planet, whatever, that's fine too, but, but there, there's nothing that is glorifying the actual creator and bringing true life to others. So what would happen if you were to hear the voice of the Lord and really dig in deep and pray intentionally about those who you know who are orphaned? And to see what the Holy Spirit leads you to do about those who are struggling and who are wounded and who are dejected and 
and who could have a, a, a deep issue with the way that church has been presented to them before. Man, we have a lot of confusion in this world right now. A lot of people confused about who they are, confused about their, their purpose and their intention on this earth. They're concerned about who, who they've been created to be. They're, co- they're confused about what they should be fighting for, what they should be aligning themselves with, who they should be aligning themselves to, who they should be giving their allegiance to as well. <coughs> and we have the answer. We have the answer. We actually have a, a, have a good father who adopts anyone who comes to him. He has resources greater than anyone could ever imagine. He has the means to care for all of his children. He doesn't reject or, or throw you in a corner and say, well, I think I, had a, I thought I had a room, but I'm running out of space now. I don't have enough space for you here. You got to go find something else. Go find some other religion that has more room for your, your needs. Give a big, big house. <laughs> uh, lots and lots of room. There's room at the table. There's space in his house. He prepares a place for us. And some of us in this room may even be struggling with orphan spirit mentality where you feel like the father has rejected or forgotten about you in many ways. Maybe like his resources haven't been poured out quite in the way that you would like them to be. Maybe you haven't gotten your way for the last couple years and it's not been enjoyable for you and you feel like you deserve that. You deserve those things to be given to you. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you feel like you haven't been really living in a way that, that would glorify and please the Lord. And so you feel the weightiness of, of, of those words of the accuser. Phrases of condemnation. Let me tell you, that's just the words of the accuser. Just the lie of the enemy. We need to both humble ourselves No, we just need to humble ourselves because there's two sides of that. One side is the lack of humility because you feel like you're owed something, so you reject whatever it is that that person in authority would be able to give you. And so you take the prideful stance of, I'm owed this, and this is who I should be, so I'm just going to make my own way. Then the other one is false humility in the sense where you're punishing yourself for something that Jesus is having grace and mercy for you for but you're still condemning yourself and still punishing yourself and removing yourself because you feel like that's what you deserve. But the beautiful thing is that God's grace is sufficient. His mercy is enough. And the loving arms of the Father, as he runs towards you, after you realize that you cannot do it on your own, saying that I need, I need Jesus. 
I need the good father. I can affectionately say Abba. Abba father was, that's a, a, a phrase that, that really depicts a, a tight-knit and intimate relationship with the father. It is not just like saying, hi, dad. That's it. Like, oh, that's my dad over there. That's all it is to it. No, there, there is an intimacy that comes with that. There's a loving embrace. There's a, uh, there, there's long drawn out conversations. There's a knowing and an understanding of the rules and, and a desire to please the father and to do whatever you can so that, so that you can make sure that, that the father is, is adored and, and, and cared for as he's cared for you. You are not orphaned. But you are children. Let me let me read the last last three verses, and we'll we'll close here. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. That we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That we may share in his sufferings. Jesus had to go to the cross. He suffered much in his life. He was able to see many miraculous things and many glorious things happen while he was alive. But then he also encountered betrayal. He encountered opposition from, from the enemy. He encountered people speaking falsely about him. He even encountered getting arrested falsely. He encountered getting brought in front of very high qualifying officials, being made fun of, being spat at, being punched, being bruised. His mind was, was threatened and thwarted and, and battered as they put the crown of thorns on his head with those needles puncturing his, his skull. He was whipped embarrassingly in front of many. His body was absolutely mangled. He was forced to carry a shameful, like the most shameful punishment that anyone can have in those days. He was forced to carry that through the streets of the city and then be propped up with nails in his hands, his feet, and put on display for people to ridicule, make fun of, and to see as a warning. Jesus, he suffered much. However, it did not end in his suffering. Because three days later, after he passed, he rose from the grave, victorious. And so Paul reminds us that if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed 
we share in his sufferings. Oh, yeah. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are heirs, heirs of Christ. That also means not just, this is not some kind of prosperity gospel where you come to know Jesus and all of a sudden you're going to be multi-billionaires. Everybody gets a jet in the room. That is not the crux of Christianity. It actually means that you're going to have to go through a lot of crucifying of the flesh. You're going to suffer ridicule from people. You're going to suffer through having to deal with betrayal as, as people don't align with the same mentality that you have as you follow after Christ. You're going to have to deal with sometimes people are going to, to make fun of you and say wrong things about you and falsely accuse you of things. You have to deal with the aspect that there are going to be a lot of things that people may want to do physically to harm you. It could also just be a, a, a metaphor for the way that you feel like your appearance has been completely dismantled and dismembered as Christ's body was dismantled and membered as they whipped him with those, with those cat of nine tails. These are things that are going to happen as, as we are believers because the enemy does not want the kingdom of heaven to prosper. And so he's going to come against anybody who is a representative of the kingdom and try to thwart them and make them feel less significant, make them feel like they're an orphan, make them feel like they're actually not a part of, of a good family with a good father. However, when you persevere, blessed are those who persevere. Consider it pure joy when you encounter these trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. What is the endurance for? The endurance is so that if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are co-heirs in Christ, which means that it's not just the sufferings that we have to deal with, but it's also the, the glorious aspect of making God's name famous. Sharing in the glory of the Lord, knowing that it is he who is greater than all things, and he loves you unconditionally. He loves you eternally. And although we may suffer, there's going to be joy in the midst of that, knowing whose we are and that there is light at the end of that tunnel. That even though I will endure suffering, I will also have much joy. So I want to encourage you guys today, if you have been dealing with either of those two aspects of, of feeling like you have been owed something and you haven't gotten it yet, and so you've been distanced fr distant from the Lord, I pray right now that you humble yourself. Or if you're on the other side of it, you feel like you've, like you've let down the Father and you feel like you've been, been one who has deserved condemnation, do not listen to the voice of the accuser, but, hu but humble yourself and accept the grace that he has for you in the middle of that circumstance and accept the mercy that he has for you also as a good, good Father, able to restore you completely so that you can use that story of your, of your previous and past shame and bring God glory in the middle of it as a beautiful testimony for people who are dealing with those same things, showing them that there is hope and there is grace for others. Amen. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have delivered to us a beautiful representation of what it means to love God. Jesus, thank you for, for enduring the